Welcome to another leadership podcast from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Listen, we're going to jump into our series tonight. Again, I want to welcome all of you. There's some faces that uh, are a little bit newer. You're so welcome here. Uh, those of you who come regularly, you're welcome here. We know we've got people at home as well. Uh, we are in our series entitled Identity, and the QR code behind me is so that you can download the, a copy of the notes if you want to be able to follow along. And otherwise, you can just kind of, there's so many things that I don't actually get to in one of our gatherings. Uh, we do put a lot of time into study, research, all out of the scripture, and uh, I run out of time. I don't know why it is. It just isn't, it's like time is fast forwarded while I'm speaking. And so we want to be able for you to take those notes, to be able to study during the week. Uh, don't take my word as God's word, but take a look at God's word for God's word and then apply that to your life. And in this series, you'll also remember we are talking about the idea of identity, but you were born with a specific identity. In fact, you were conceived with what we call a biblical identity. God puts you into motion on purpose for purpose. There's no mistakes about you. God created a lot of things, but on the sixth day, after he created man and woman, he said, not just it is good, he actually said it is very good. God created you. You're different than any other creation. You're not a random When your mother and father came together while there was a biological reaction, heaven was involved in creating you with identity. You are wired a specific way for specific purpose for here and now in the life that you live. Now, that's your biblical identity. It's ultimately the never-changing sum total of who you are based on what God says. And although we're very similar, all of us, God has similar corporate values and purpose for all of us, you have specific purpose that no one else can fulfill. Now, in the process of being born conceived and then finally arriving here and now to this point in your life, there's a lot of, lot of voices that will fight against you actually understanding who you are. There's things that will happen to you. That's one voice. There are situations you'll find yourself in, people who will talk to you, opinions that will come your way, all trying to build this identity of you that's actually not really in line with what God says about you. I've shared the story a few times of being in the ninth grade, showing up at high school and being overwhelmed. I mean, I was, I was actually a year younger than I was supposed to be. I was less than five feet tall. I weighed 70 pounds. I'm in high school all of a sudden, and I'm looking out, and I quickly discover there's three different groups of people. There are the stoners, there are the jocks, and there are the preppies. And I didn't know who I was. And so I literally the next week went to the store, and I bought three different styles of outfits. I, brought, I bought concert shirts to be one of the stoners of groups that I didn't even know who they were. And I got caught on that, called out. And I also bought some, you know, normal jock, you know, some hoodies and some sneakers and stuff like that. And then I also bought some, we called them preppies. It was the Izod sweater, Izod t-shirts with the collars up like this, with a pair of bright colored khakis that you're walking around in. It's like, I definitely had identity confusion. I didn't know who I was. Although that's a pretty bizarre story about myself, I would say that you've experienced some similar journey in the process of trying to figure out who am I really. And the reason why we struggle with that is because 
That identity is cloaked. Everything in this world will try to keep you from discovering who God says you are because the moment you discover what God says about you, it will light your life on fire in a direction that will accomplish more, that will be more valuable, be more fulfilling. It'll be powerful because you will be in line with what God has put you here on earth for. But until then, you're going to be bouncing around. Until you hear from God, you're going to be bouncing around. Some of the things that God is going to reveal to you will be in moments like this or moments while we're worshiping or you're reading your Bible. You'll be like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that I'm not um, you know, some friend of God. I am actually a son or daughter because of Jesus dying for me. And you'll discover that you are so much more valuable than you ever thought in the eyes of God. There's people running around thinking God is angry. can't wait to snuff him out like a candle. You discover the opposite in Scripture. You discover that God... When you were conceived, he was there and he was excited about your arrival. All of eternity in his heart had been waiting for the moment of your conception and then for your birth. And that is still our Heavenly Father's desire over each of our own lives. God's not tolerating you. God's not angry with you. God is trying to reveal to you who you really are in his eyes. And once you see that, it will set you on a course to actually fulfilling that in your lifetime. All while there is a perceived identity that we're experiencing, me on a Monday wearing my, my stoner outfit. Hey, what's up, dude? My fry boots. Oh, man, yeah. This weekend was so rad, man. I, I, I was at home every night eating popcorn with my parents. There was nothing rad going on. Then the next day, it's like, yeah, man, I think I benched like, like 42 pounds today. I probably couldn't even do that, right? Thanks, Shane. I appreciate the heckle from back there. <laughs> And then on Fridays, you know, wearing my pink pop-up collar, Izod. Hey! Well, I try to remember what, how we used to talk. It wasn't Valley Girl. It was before that. It was, anyway, so um, let me give you a verse that will hopefully help you. We'll pray here in just a second. This is about someone who's experiencing an identity crisis. It's a woman named Naomi. And just really quick to fast forward, when she was a young woman, she got married she lived in Bethlehem, and her and her husband traveled to a different country. And there, they had a couple of boys who they raised, and those young men met women, and they got married in the process of, of her life in those 25 years, approximately, being away. Her husband dies. Her, both of her sons die. I don't know what was going on. Maybe it was their version of COVID back then. But she's standing there with her two daughter-in-laws, and realizing she has nothing, she tries to... I guess I'll just go back home. And so in the process of going back home, one of the daughters doesn't come with her daughter-in-laws, and the other one whose the book is named after, Ruth, travels with her. And so as she's walking back into Bethlehem, she shows up, and in the process, um, some people recognize her. And we pick it up there in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And women said, is that Naomi? They were remembering her from high school. They were remembering her when she left. And they were all sad that she was leaving, but excited. Go, go, accomplish your dreams. And now they see her coming back into town. And she's 25 years older. And they see the figment of the girl who left is now the woman who has been through some stuff. And so they say, is that Naomi? And then she says to them, don't call me Naomi. By the way, her biblical name, much like her identity, that name means pleasantness, or things have been pleasant. 
She says, do not call me by that name. That's not who I am. I have a new identity. And she says, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That word Mara means bitter. Now, I want you to know everything she's about to say is absolutely incorrect. It's not true, but at this moment, she's owning it as her truth. Some bad things have happened, but they have nothing to do with God. Now, this will be a familiar theme that you'll recognize from our culture. Maybe you've even found yourself, God, if you were able to keep all these bad things from happening, why didn't you keep them from happening? When in reality, this world is going to throw everything it can at you. And if you're on guard, if you're walking scripturally, you'll be able to dodge about 90% of it, but 10% is going to get you. The good thing is then God gets involved when you invite him to come and redeem the screwed up situation that you're experiencing. So this is all wrong, but this is legitimately how she feels. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. God didn't do any of this. God didn't kill her husband. God did not kill her two sons. God didn't take it all away. God didn't rip her dreams out of her heart, but those things happened. She's right now blaming God, and she goes on to say, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, or why call me pleasantness? when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me. And so I think that we see a moment in Ruth's life where she is actually going through what I've entitled this message, identity dysphoria. Now, use that word a couple more times in a few minutes because I think it's valuable in the cultural setting that we're in. But I think of all the, all the dysphorias that people experience, the root of all dysphorias, and there's many of them, the root is identity dysphoria. If you caught a glimpse of who you are and you were confident in who you are, you could step forward in that with strength. It would be aligned with what God says about you, and you would just push forward, ignoring the voices around you. But she has experienced the voice of circumstance. Anybody you've been ever fired or you failed a test, or you've gone through a difficult situation and you walked away and what do you do? You allow a circumstance or the voice of this circumstance to push you off your game and suddenly now you're a loser. Oh, I'm a failure. I'll never get another job. And we slide into this alternate version of that's, that's such a far cry from who we really are. And that's what I wanna challenge you with, with you tonight. So do me a favor, um, just pray with me for a second and ask the Lord to help you to see maybe some areas, some lies, some untruths that you have actually believed that are keeping you from being who God has said that you are. Father, I thank you tonight. Your faithfulness is never ending. And I understand as I read about Naomi's life, she's lost a lot. But Lord, you are not the author of what she experienced. And we know the rest of the story. You get involved and turn things around in amazing ways. And there's a great story that is still to be told. It's not a bitterness story. It's not a Mara story, but it is a Naomi story. It's a pleasant story. Amazing things happen as she invites you back into the circumstance. So Lord, I pray for your help. Help us to walk confidently in who you say we are. Give us a revelation of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Um, so as I've already said, since your birth, your biblical identity or who God says you are has been on, under constant assault by many different voices trying to take you off of who you really are and who God intends you to be, what he intends you to do. 
and it wants to create a counterfeit, lesser version of you. What you have to understand sitting here today, regardless of what your church experience is, that has had its impact on you. Even from your young childhood, it's been a very powerful all-out assault on your life that you may not even be aware of, but has brought you to some things bringing you off of the game of the true you whom God says that you are. They're whispered strong or loudly enough, and we listen to them, and we believe those types of things. Uh, A word that's used quite often in our culture today is the word dysphoria. And I've given you a definition for what um, I want to, you know, kind of made this up to a degree, but it falls in line with Scripture and also people's experience. Dysphoria, dysphoria in general is a state of confusion or unease or dissatisfaction about something in life. And identity dysphoria really is that same thing, only it's a confusion, it's an uneasiness, it's a dissatisfaction with who you perceive yourself to be. Ninth grade me was not confident in 73-pound me or what I brought to the table, so I needed to put something out there to represent me or find something that would represent me, and I was grabbing at all sorts of straws, just trying to figure out who am I so that I can fit in somewhere. And we see that happen all through school. It's amazing, the different, although the the three classes of students that I experience, probably different than what we're, uh, students are experiencing now, but there are those different segments of culture. There's even groups, even when I was growing up, They don't want to be a part of any group, so they create the non-group, and yet they all look the same and talk the same and hang out together. And so it's a group that's against groups, right? And and that becomes their identity. Why? Why does that happen? Because people just are not comfortable in who they are, especially when they're younger. And in the process, it does really begin to develop something that can, can become really uh, negative at work in our lives. I mean, I think it's normal to struggle with, uh, you know, who, who's going to be my crowd? What's my tribe going to look like? But that pursuit can really take you down some dark alleys and some dangerous places. I mean, I get into all of my story, but I'll share a couple things tonight that are very transparent that you, you understand could have led to some very, very dangerous places. But once that dysphoria begins to set in, and it tries to set in all through our childhood and especially into our teenage years, and I would say that this is a real challenge, and this is really in play, especially in the first two decades of your life. So if you're 20 or under, this is an aggressive attack against your life right now. What I'll say to those of you who are parents or going to be parents, this is an aggressive attack up until your child's fifth birthday. There are so many things set into motion by the time your child is five years old that about 90% of the overall fashioning of the, of the thinking process of your child is, in, is set, and then it's a trickle down. That's why they say it's hard for old guys to do new tricks or whatever because we get set in our ways. But younger people are so moldable. Why? Because they're going through this process of discovering who they are. When identity dysphoria sets in, though, there are usually voices that come against our life that are contrary to the Word of God, and they begin to push us off course to keep us from being aligned with what God says, from being aligned with God himself. And I don't know, as a guy, I will tell you this, I've got uh, several broken tools in my toolbox, usually because I've used them for the improper thing. 
Now, growing up, my mom's drawer was filled with butter knives that were snapped off because they make for less than great screwdrivers. That is a, is a funny illustration, but it really is true. Your life was designed for specific purpose and on purpose, and as long as you're stuck being a butter knife in the screwdriver's drawer, life is not going to work the way it should. Life is already challenging when you're in line with God. Jesus said, you know, in this world you'll have trouble. But at least when you're in line with God and you know who he is and who you are, man, it's the, it's the Phillips screwdriver in the Phillips screw and this thing works. It's still a struggle. It's still work, but it, it, it's working as it should under the contested circumstances. But prior to that, you are just trying to apply yourself in ways that don't even, God hasn't even created you for. And it leads to a number of manifestations when this begins to set in. Um, there is certainly, you hear the term regularly, gender dysphoria. It would be somebody who's uh, uh, in, a, in a man's body but feeling like they are confused or uneasy or dissatisfied about being in this body. I will tell you that all of these things on my list, just really quickly, they're the leaves on the tree. They're not the root. The bigger issue behind a gender dysphoria is identity dysphoria. Who am I? The leaves on the trees, I've discovered if you clip them off, it doesn't change the root. I'm not as worried about gender dysphoria as I am identity dysphoria. Who am I? Who does God say that I am? I think that that's the bigger discussion. In fact, all of these other things are kind of periphery, and I'm really not that interested in talking about them except for, you know, just real quick because it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you don't have an experience with God what makes anything right or wrong in your world anyways? You know what I mean? Dis having an experience and meeting God face-to-face -face and starting a relationship with him is not about joining a club. It is a supernatural thing that happens, and it's a thing that happens when we create an environment for people to experience that. I'm less interested in con uh, convincing anybody about God's word until I am them experiencing God. That's the critical thing. The people, once you experience God, you're like, whoa, holy smokes, he's real. And then anything he has to say then is makes sense. It falls into play. So there's also sexual dysphoria, and that's way different than maybe what you would think. I mean, certainly we look at Scripture. We understand that God has uh, focus for sex. It's for reproduction. It's also for pleasure. For those of you who bought in, I don't know, unless you're trying to have kids, don't do that. No, no, no. God in the New Testament, believe it or not, God has created sex for enjoyment. I got zero amens on that. It's everyone at home. I'm going to say amen. God's word says it. It's not stuffy. God has created sex for pleasure and enjoyment, for intimacy between people. He's put parameters around it so that you don't snap off the butter knife, right? But in honoring that, man, it's amazing that, that God has given us this incredible gift. But let me tell you something. When you have a voice to pull, I mean, that's part of God, God's will for, for you. But in the process, the voices that will pull you off track will try to pull you away from the very good gift that he's offering. I don't know what your background is like, but I'll tell you that as a young child, I'll get into all the details here, obviously. My parents are wonderful people. They're in their 70s. They love God. They serve him well. But I was born when my mom was 18 and my dad was 21. He was in the military. They were not believers. They were young. They were in love. They were not discreet. You got to remember, my parents were still in their early 20s, and I have memories. 
And so I experienced in the world that we grew up in with a bar that my parents owned and the friends that would come over to the house. And during the early 70s, people weren't discreet. I saw things, sexual things, as a four and five-year-old that I should have never seen. But in seeing those things, they became a voice to push against who God says I am. And so especially, again, at that young age and seeing those things, it had an impact on how I viewed that entire topic. Now, it happens different for other people. There are some people who have bought into this idea that, you know, that no guy will love me if I don't give up my body. And so I give up my body so that he will love me, which never works but that is some of that same identity dysphoria. I'll be a somebody if he or her loves me if I give them this thing, which they're not going to appreciate in, the, in that context. So there's a relational dysphoria, accomplishment dysphoria. Well, when I become president of the company, then I, oh yeah, then it, oh, ignoring family, ignoring reality, running over people to get to the top, and you find yourself CEO of the planet, and it's incredibly empty. You know why? Because it's an, a, a mirage, and it's not maybe the thing that you're wired for, and so you pursue it, but there's this because of confusion, uneasiness, or dissatisfaction with who you are. Listen, if you're not happy with who you are as vice president, you will not be happy as president. There's no carrot that you're ever going to grab in your hand that's going to make life feel complete. Why? Because you've made those things your identity, and that's dysphoric. It's going to lead to that problem. Because when you discover what God says about you, boom, right here, the mess that I am, God still calls me son. And I don't need the approval or the accolades of anyone else if I can hear the accolades of my father. And I can hear him, thank God. There's a lot of years that I didn't. But I can now because of God's revelation. So these outward expressions, they don't just show up, but they are incubated over time. And so I want to give you a couple of incubators real quick that maybe you can see how this actually plays itself out. And these are all out of different scriptural settings. Uh, these incubators are especially powerful, again, in the first two decades of our lives and most powerful in the first five years of life. And that is why I would say it's so important. Mom and dad, your child is your responsibility and you want to be the loudest voice other than God's in their life. And any secret... <laughs> kept from you with your child is uh, ill-advised, okay? There, you, you, as parent, have a responsibility before God, bringing your child into this world to know your child and to be, have input into your child's life. And that's over coaches, that's over teachers. And we have teachers and coaches in this room that we love and appreciate. But understand the order. Your children are your responsibility. Be the loudest voice in their world. Amen? Amen. Be thankful for other good voices in their life. Thank God for the great voices. But not every voice is a great voice. Not every voice of leadership is a good voice. Right? Okay? Okay, so these... these uh, um, incubators for identity dysphoria. Real quick, truth vacuum. What is a truth vacuum? Truth is wh wh where you don't know the answer, you come up with the best answer you can, right? That's, that's ninth grade me. Who am I? Am I a jock? Am I a stoner? Am I, am I a preppy? What, what am I going to do? Clearly, you're a dancer. We know that. However, what, you know, and so we look to experience something that 
we identify with so that we can push in and be a somebody. Truth that is not known, all suggestions come into play, and when people don't know the truth, they will usually construct their own truth. We hear that a lot. Tell your truth. The only problem with your truth is your truth might not be true. Because I come up with a lot of truths of my own on how to fix something without watching uh, Professor YouTube, and I can assure you, I discover my truth that is not accurate. Anybody? I've gotten halfway through a project, I don't need any input, and then gotten on YouTube, and I discover the truth. Right, And so let's be really clear that all of our truth in this room are, are tainted with our own stupidity and our sinfulness. God's word is true. It's pure, it's straight, it's clear. And anytime I deviate from that, it, it's, this thing is gonna get a little bit wobbly, right? And so in a truth vacuum, it's just failure to know which is where I came from. I grew up in a setting where we read the Bible. We didn't go to church. And so there was a vacuum of God's word in my life. And so guess what? I came up with my own conclusions of who I am. And they definitely sold me short. Found myself planning things and doing things and being things that I'm ashamed of now looking back, but they were even shameful then. Stupid stuff. I mean, ah, you know, I do crazy stuff. Why? Because everybody gets excited when you do crazy stuff. There's no cash prize at the end. Nobody's paying your hospital bills. But everybody's like, oh, he's crazy. Yeah, that's who I am. I'm crazy. I know none of you can identify with that, but that, that was definitely me. You might see signs of that occasionally. Um, there's this amazing scripture in Judges, though, that kind of speaks to this reality. It's historical. It's in the Old Testament. It was, they were in between kings, and the kings at that time they led uh, with the word of God, and they led God's people as we read the Bible. It says, in those days, there was no king. In other words, there was no voice of leadership. There was no one to say, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. And it's fascinating. It says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So who did the right thing? Everyone. Really weird, though, that the right thing was different. 25 things cannot be right, especially when they're in conflict with one another. And that's the beauty that you begin to discover that God has set in the world that we live in. There's laws of gravity. There's laws of math. And I'm sorry, but two plus two doesn't equal five. It equals four uh, because I checked on my calculator before I started. Um, Proverbs 29, 18 also says something that really is really helpful when you think along the lines of this concept. If people can't see what God is doing, or I would say people don't know God's truth or don't know what God is saying about how to behave or even about themselves, someone who steps into this world not realizing they're a creation of God, not realizing that God has a purpose for their life, the Bible goes on to say they will stumble all over themselves. When you hear God's voice and you discover that God has something to say about you, it becomes like your GPS and it keeps you from falling in the ditch. And some people will be saying, it's crazy, this world, people will be like, come on, man, get in the ditch, it's awesome. Anybody, you've heard that voice? Been down in the ditch? Anybody here? Right, let's see some hands. Oh, thank, thank, Sandy's been in the ditch. Anybody else you've been in the ditch? What's down in the ditch? Not a whole lot of good stuff. And yet everybody, come on down in the ditch, it's amazing. Why? Because they're just doing whatever they think is working or feels good, or makes them a somebody, 
and yet they end up stumbling all over themselves. And so a question for you is, are there untruths that have shaped your perceived identity simply because you haven't heard what God actually says about you? Let me be really clear and just lean in for a second. God has specific things, specific thoughts about you. And he actually wants you to know what they are. And they are like rocket fuel when you hear them. Moses was lost in the desert, couldn't figure, his life has fallen apart. He sees a burning bush and God speaks to him. And when God speaks, it's like rocket fuel. It sets his life on a trajectory as God created him for. And the same is true about your life. God has specific things that he thinks about you, things that he would say to you, that he wants to say to you, that if you will lean in and say, Lord, I want to know what those things are, over time, and some of it will happen very quickly, and some of it will happen over years, but it will happen. God is not interested in hiding from us. The reason why he is hidden is all of those voices. Come do this, do that, jump in the ditch, go do that, oh, no, man, you be a stoner, be a, be a jock, be, 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 a, be a preppy. You get so busy listening to those voices, you never get to hear what God says to you. Because there's voices in every one of those crowds that tell you how cool you are. Then when you're part of that crowd, they tell you, well, you're not quite cool enough. You're not one of the cool kids in this crowd. Then you start to wonder about that, and it's never ending. Another incubator that uh, um, this entire concept grows in, that your identity dysphoria will grow in, is in pervasive suggestion. That's when something is suggested to you over and over and over and over and over. Uh, I know, I understand the group that I'm standing in, and I understand the context, but I want to be really clear. If you know anything about deviant behavior and people who would do you harm or do your children harm, there's a process that somebody who is good at this they will begin to make suggestions over and over and over and over to try to convince you to move a little bit more over this way and a little bit more over this way and a little bit more over this way and a little bit more over this way to get you to do the thing they want you to do that otherwise, the first request, you would never do it. It's pervasive. And sometimes it's external and just a singular voice, but it can be the voice of many people. It could be one individual who is trying to do something to rob you of something, or it could be the voice of a larger group that would value you becoming a part of their group because then it would validate them. Am I talking clearly enough so you can understand where I'm going with this? That's one of the reasons why there's some of the fight going on within our culture right now of the things that can be said to children and to young adults and the things that can be discussed in school. And I would say, mom and dad, I love our school system. We, Corey and Jenny are teachers. We love and appreciate them. We have other people involved with the educational industry. Um, at the end of the day, I'm thankful for their influence in children's lives and love that they continue to do that. And I, I wish that more people would do that. But it's so valuable when our children are being taught reading, writing, arithmetic, history, biology, all of those things are so great. And staying away from cultural experiments that are not working or are contrary to Scripture. Now, again, 
I don't think that everyone has a dark agenda, but I want to tell you the power of suggestion, especially to children, is extremely powerful. The pornography that I discovered as a small boy gave me suggestion and set my mind on a course of thinking that would have never been there without the suggestion. And everybody struggles with some complexity of life, but if there's voices that have an agenda to push the thinking into a direction, it is definitely predatory. So be on guard. Be on guard of, you know, people in your life that, you know, thieves over a period of time want to set you up to steal your stuff. People who want to rob something from your children, they don't just show up day one. They typically work their way in and, you know, and, and listen, we love our kids in this church. When you walk into the new building, there are a couple of cameras in every room. You want to know why? You know why. <laughs> I want to protect the character, the, the lives of our children. I want to protect the name of our good volunteers. And in the event that there was someone that was up to no good, they're going to walk into our building and be like, dang, these, this guy don't play. You're right, I don't play. I don't play. Not in that area, because when you get loose and you don't discern your enemy, well, you'll just embrace everybody. And we do embrace everybody as welcome, but not everybody serves in leadership. There's a difference. You're welcome to come to the store, and we've got great things to give away for free. But you're not, you're not allowed to make the soup unless you buy into the list of ingredients. Does that make sense? I had a, uh, and again, just being transparent. Am I going to go over time? Probably a little bit. Oh, man. I'm good. Okay. Um, what did you say? You make it sound like I'm unchanging, Marina. Um, we had uh, some years ago, uh, some good friends of mine, they were youth pastors in a different state. And uh, during a youth shut-in, they had uh, a video game get stolen. And what was really good is that they had a camera system, and so they were able to jump into the camera system to discover who stole the video game. But they didn't really know how to run the camera system, so they found themselves in weeks and months and years before that, and why are we in this classroom, and how do you make this work? And boom, something popped up on a screen that was going on in a classroom between an adult and a child. And that stuff happens. Over time, by pervasive suggestion over and over and over. And so be on guard. As a church family, we're on guard. We want to protect you, your integrity, your children's safety. I mean, there's no safety net that's ever going to be completely bulletproof. But the reason why I say that is because it's important for you to guard your children, your grandchildren. Let them run, run alone with a tablet just because it's, easy, it's easier than dealing with them is a recipe for danger. Do you understand that, I mean, I, when, I, when, I, when you students hear me say that as a small child that I found pornography of my parents, my parents' pornography, my, or my family's pornography was nothing like today's pornography that's available to small children with a smart device. You understand that? The things that impacted me deeply, I'm searching for things that are more than just somebody standing there. On the internet, you could find a lot more than that. You know that, right? The power of that suggestion is so powerful. I've got two more, but I'm not going to get to them. Traumatic encounter. You know, Ruth had that experience. 
Ruth had a trauma, or I'm sorry, Naomi had a trauma that she experienced in life. And some of you have experienced trauma. It's the trauma of losing a parent at a young age. It's the trauma of being sick. There's an element of trauma to this whole last two years. How this is going to impact some, some people, we won't know for years, to be honest with you. Some people, we know how it's impacted them because we can see it now. We've experienced it now. But how it will play out, a traumatic event, can actually push you back into the corner. And now you, like Ruth, like Naomi did, your trauma becomes your identity. Who are you? Well, I'm the kid who's got a disease. I have to check my blood every day. And while that's true, a trauma is real, a sickness is real, you are not what you were diagnosed with. You are a person dealing with something, but don't you, don't you own that diagnosis? I'm not saying don't say it's not real. It is real. But you don't own it. You're fighting against it. This is something you're experiencing, but I'm expecting God to show up at any minute. Come on, we're going to make it through this. I mean, this is a woman that, that uh, Sandy read about, a, a family that was going through um, hunger and uh, desolation. And yet God showed up in the middle of that, and she ate well for the next three years during a famine. She was like a queen during that season. Why? Because God can get involved with your trauma and turn all things around. I One of the biggest coolest things I was ever involved with when I lived in Longview, Kelso, was a prison ministry that we had in our church. And I remember one Sunday afternoon that we were there, we water baptized like 45 people. It was insane in the prison. To watch inmates singing with their hands raised and guards on either side, like it's a little terrifying a little bit. I'm not afraid of the guards, but I, you just don't know what's going to happen, right? I've seen Shawshank Redemption. I know what could go down here. I don't know if the sisters are in here or not. I just watched Shawshank the other day. Um, and yet we baptized a ton of people. You know the woman who led that ministry? She, as a mom, her daughter was attacked and murdered by her boyfriend. And in the process of him being in jail, she hated him so much. She wanted him to rot forever. And then she wandered into a church and heard God whisper, you are my daughter, I love you. In the process of God healing up her heart and her discovering her identity, she began to realize this man killed her daughter, not just because he's a murderer, but because he had been bumped off of his identity and was running down a wrong street because of the many voices that bring, come into his life. And so she went to the prison to let him know that, listen, I love you and I forgive you. And out of that encounter was a 25-year prison ministry. God can do amazing things through your trauma if you invite him into that. Amen? Okay, why don't you stand with me? I'll just read. The last one is just experience. Sometimes we experience some things that can really kind of push you off your game and get you boxed in. Those could be, be COVID. There's going to be some people who are... Never come back to church. Why? Because in their mind, oh, it's just easier to do church at home online. And those of you who are at home online, if you're at home online for good reason, you're traveling or whatever, or you're, you have a health issue, look, totally get that. But if you think church is sitting on the couch watching me speak, it pulls out all of the components. Try doing marriage that way. 
Try, try doing parenting over the screen. There's a relational thing that needs to happen for it to really be what God intends. And so a bad experience of the last year, or sometimes good experiences but aren't in line with Scripture, will take you off of what God has for your life. Just last verse that I want to read to you. I love this. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, in other words, if you hear my word, if you discover my word, you start reading my word, start singing my word, start praying my word, you start getting around people who are talking about the word of God, goes on to say, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. You'll hear the truth. You'll hear the truth about you. You'll hear the truth about God and the truth will set you free. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.